0: Building institutions that are transformative and change the world um, is like building cathedrals, right? It, it requires a very distinct type of, of thinking, of, of guts, you know, a, a very unique mindset to, to believe in something that is so big. And you believe in it and you have faith in it so strongly that you're willing to commit to putting the foundation together, knowing that you may not live long enough to to, to see it.
1: Welcome to Creativity Pioneers, a podcast by the Moleskine Foundation that aims to spark dialogues and reflections on how creativity is understood and talked about, showing us its use for positive personal and social transformation. I'm your host, Adam Asanne, Moleskine Foundation CEO. Please subscribe now to our podcast on the platform of your choice and tune in for new episodes. I look forward to reading your thoughts and comments on our social media channels. Today I had the pleasure to speak to Veda Sansi, Executive Director of the African Leadership University. Veda arrived in this role through an incredible personal journey devoted to impacting society through education. Graduated from Princeton University, Veda has spent many years in several roles with the African Leadership Group. He was selected among the inaugural Obama leaders in 2018 and chosen among the top 100 most influential young Africans by African Youth Award in 2019. His path to leadership is ingrained in a constant process of self-reflection that becomes the basis of an incredible and ambitious vision, building innovative institutions that will change the way we conceive education and ultimately will develop 3 million ethical and entrepreneurial leaders for Africa and the world by 2035. For today's conversation, Veda is sharing with us his journey and his vision on preparing a generation of leaders through three key words, kitchen stage, and cathedral. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Veda. I'm very glad to have you here. I love that in your background and in your path to leadership, there's a lot of creativity, there's a lot of culture, there's a lot of art. Even if I discover somewhere that at some point you wanted to be a aeronautic engineer or a space engineer or something like that. You have to tell us something around that about what happened there. Um, but uh, as every podcast, we always start this conversation by asking our guest to. Uh, choose three words that they think that can represent themselves and their mission uh, in life. And I think you chose three very interesting words. One was kitchen, stage, and cathedral. So, Veda, first of all, thank you very much for being here. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So can you tell me a little bit about these three words? Where... Where did they come from?
0: <laughs> well, it's funny, funny, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, that the, the, there's always been an inherent interest in the arts in my journey. And you, you know, you're absolutely right. I, funny enough, when I, when I often, you know, sort of describe myself, I say that in as much as most of my professional career has been as an educator, I'd like to think that fundamentally I'm an artist. And, and, and hopefully when I unpack these three words, um, the artist within will also emerge. Yeah? <laughs> so, so why these three words? You know where it comes from? It's, um, I remember my students um, asked me once, um, you know, when, when, where did I learn leadership? You know, mm-hmm. And I often say to them that there are two places where I learned leadership. Um, one is the kitchen where I worked for four years at university. The other one is the stage where I did theater um, for four years when I was at university. But the funny story is that I had no idea at the time that I was learning leadership in those, um, uh, on the, on those stages, on those platforms. And it's only later sort of you know, looking back and, and having the, the, the frameworks to think about leadership that, that made me um, uh, understand why these were two very critical crucibles for my leadership journey. Um, and the last one is um, Cathedral. And, and I'll tell you a story about Cathedral in a second as to how that has influenced the way I think about my work, um, especially in the African leadership group, but also, you know, sort of in, in, in general, what I think I'm very good at and, and I'm interested in doing as I look at the, the common thread in my, in my professional journey, you know. So, why kitchen and how did I learn leadership there? You know, when I, join university I got a you know scholarship but part of my scholarship was also that I needed to work in the dining hall um, to make some money and, um, and I remember you know you know the dining hall at, at Princeton is like if you've watched Harry Potter you know the kind of dining hall that you're sitting out with the big candles and everything the long tables it's a it's a similar kind of you know dining hall and and I remember when I you know started working there the, you know the job entailed you know So, you know, you go into the kitchen um, where all the magic happens, right? So when you come into the dining hall, you come in, you take your tray, you take your plate, you take your utensil, you walk around, you pick your food, you eat, you finish eating, you come to this conveyor belt where you put your tray and your leftovers, and then it disappears. And then nobody knows what happens. You just know that the next day when you come, you know, you get a new tray and it's clean and all of that. And I work behind the scene where all the magic happens. So, when the tray comes on the conveyor belt, it appears in the kitchen. My job was to lift it off the conveyor belt. You put the cup in the cup tray. You put the silverware in, in the bowl where it's soaking. You put the plates on the plate. You know, you're stacking the plates, you're stacking the trays. And then, when you've piled up a bit, you turn around, you put it on another conveyor belt, you push it. There's a guy or a girl is waiting on the other side and that person picks it up and starts loading it into this massive washing machine and then there's somebody else catching it on the other side. If you're still wondering, okay, I don't see where leadership is in all of this. What was interesting is that, you know, I've always known about efficiency and systems and processes and operation. And this is like a very miniature version of of an operation, right? But being in an environment where, you know, we had a captain and our captain would challenge us like how fast you could pick up the trays and how fast you could dish out. Because here's the the thing, the moment, let's say a tray keeps going on the conveyor belt, there is a little detector, and if it goes past that detector, the conveyor belt stops. And if that conveyor belt stops, on the other side where people are loading their trays when they finish dinner, you create a massive backlog. So if you are delaying in the kitchen, that line stops, and you have a whole, you know, um, uh, you have traffic in the dining hall, And people are not able to do this efficiently. So it depended on us to be fast. And, you know, there were incentives that we were given by our captain to like, you know, do this and do this, you know, really, really fast. And and the challenge was always, you know, like to never let it stop. And and funny enough, you know, I got pretty good at it and got, you know, eventually uh, became a good performer, got promoted. And I ended up spending four years in that kitchen. I grew from, you know, being the guy catching the dishes to being, the head of di- like, you know, student dining services for the whole campus by the time I was graduating. But it was one of the most powerful lessons in terms of understanding you know, that excellence lies in the details no matter what you do. Even in the kitchen, if you want to be excellent, you want to pay attention to the details. How, how do you station your, your crate so your mug goes in it really, really fast? How do you dish out the tray so you're able to put it back in an efficient and fast enough way that you can pick up the next one and the line doesn't stop. It may sound silly, but I can guarantee you this is the one place where I truly understood, you know, excellence lies in the details, and that if you have an efficient operation, right, you can create magic because from the other side it seemed like magic, right? You send your tray, it disappears. The next day it shows up again. Kitchen. Stage you know, I'm a, I mean, my background is in leadership. I, I run a leadership university, but I started in, in the African leadership group as a teacher. I was a, I was a leadership teacher. Um, but I got interested in leadership because my roommate was uh, teaching leadership and he would bring all these books at home. And, and every time I pick up a book, I was like, oh man, I need that stuff. I need that. I need to learn this. I need to learn emotional intelligence. I need to learn proactivity, et cetera. And, and that what sort of drew, drew me into it. And I ended up, you know, teaching it. And and with that, sort of I got the language to 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 really start formulating what leadership meant. And and I believe very strongly that leadership starts within, with yourself first. Before you're gonna lead anybody in this world, you need to be able to lead yourself. But to be able to lead yourself, you need to be able to have enough self-awareness. It starts with emotional intelligence. I believe that at at, at the core of any leader, you need to have a, a very strong sense of. Um, emotional intelligence and self-awareness. I think I don't need to name, name names, but we've seen in recent past leaders in the world, right, who you could clearly see, you know, were very low on self-awareness, on empathy, on emotional intelligence, right? But here's an interesting story. When I did theater, I mean, I absolutely loved it, and I've, you know, performed in over twenty different plays, and I've played different roles, different characters. But it's only later on that I realized that I have. And you know, a lot of the leadership teaching that we do is experiential in nature. So we try to create these simulations for people to better understand, you know, um, uh, you know, a certain stakeholder, a user, right? You do, you do user empathy and all of that. But there is no exercise more powerful in empathy than being an actor, because what is it to be an actor? To 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 try to become somebody else, right? In in in. in in, emotional, in in leadership, we often talk about like walking in the moccasins of somebody else, right? This idea of like putting yourself in somebody else's shoes to understand the world from their lens and their reality. And I've done that for four years, right? And, and you know, I would go at length to like understand a character and prepare to be the character and all of that, but never really fully appreciating how powerful an exercise in empathy it was. And it really, really was, you know, because, you know, you, you show up You've, you've had a long day of school. You come at uh, 5 p.m. You perform at 7 p.m. You have to get in the zone. You have to become this character that you are not on a day-to-day. And that exercise of forcing yourself to become something else you know, was one of the most powerful um, you know, empathy exercises. So theater, stage, that's where I learned it. Mark Cathedral, there's a beautiful letter written by a guy called Bill Shore. And it's called letter from the cathedral of Milan and Bill Shaw was running a company and uh, he was on vacation in Italy in Milan and he went to the cathedral and sort of just was in full admiration of that cathedral and wrote this letter to his team in which he explains this idea of you know you look at this cathedral which apparently took over 500 years to complete and he said just imagine what does it take for a group of people or an individual to want to build something knowing full well that he or she will not live long enough to see the labor of that work come to fruition. Forget him or the person who starts it or the group of people who started, they knew the people who were building the Cathedral of Milan knew not only they wouldn't live long enough, their their, their children wouldn't live long enough. It will take generations before this thing you know, comes to life. And I believe that building institutions that are transformative and change the world um, is like building cathedrals right it it requires a very distinct type of of thinking of, of guts you know a, a very unique mindset to to believe in something that is so big and you believe in it and you have faith in it so strongly that you're willing to commit to putting the foundation together knowing that you may not live long enough to 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 see it and i think in modern day world where everything is so urgent where we are constantly wanting to get the accolade or to succeed, or we have very defined, you know, sort of templates of success. It is very easy to want to do the next thing that is gonna, you know, uh, is gonna put you out there on a pedestal, right? And and, and the world will, will claim that you've been successful. But but people who really build enduring institutions that are, are transformational that change the world, they they have a long-term horizon, a different different kind of way of thinking. And I think Bill Shaw describes it magnificently in that letter around, um, you know, as he describes, what, what did it take to build a cathedral, the, the cathedral of Milan, and what are lessons that you can take um, uh, from, from that. Why was that relevant and, and resonated with me is I'd like to think that that's what we're trying to do with the African leadership group, right, that we are in the business, for lack of a better word, to develop the next generation of African leaders. And if you're going to build a generation of leaders, you've got to think uh, your timeline is generations, right? It's not a year, it's not two years. So you have to to play the long game. And you have to think about building institutions that will give you an education today to prepare you for the future, which is also not something, again, I could go down a rabbit hole here around how obsolete our current education models are. Um, and, and you really need to think, you know, in, in new novel ways. But that resonated with me personally, because when I look at my journey in the group, I'd like to think that I've Constantly been part of helping the group build something, and then other people can come and continue, you know, growing on it. Whether it was helping starting the academy in Johannesburg, whether it was being part of the founding team of ALU in Mauritius, whether it was me going to Rwanda as employee number one to start ALU Rwanda, and today it's this magnificent, beautiful campus. It's got you know a thousand plus students, and from me being the first employee to the, to, to a team of you know two hundred plus people you know to me coming back right now to help the institution scale from you know 2000 students to 20000 students in the next 5 years right um, i'd like to think that you know that's what that's what i get my um inspiration from playing my part in in being an engineer and architect in in building cathedrals
1: it was beautiful thank you veda because i think you touch upon um so many different topics and 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 you manage to trace for us an incredible journey that really starts from the self and and, and, and goes to a vision that goes way beyond the self. And, uh, and I found extremely interesting this idea of the three words and, you know, I would probably, uh, you know, the first one that, that, started, that, that I thought was was the aspect of stage in a sense that there is this element of introspection or self-awareness that is a starting point of, of everything to a certain extent. This idea that you brought with Kitchen is the idea that creativity, imagination, vision require processes, require mm-hmm praxis it's not something that just remained out there uh and finally the idea of the cathedral and plus i really appreciate it since i'm from milan and we are (laughs) so i'm not we're actually not too far from the duomo itself and every time you pass in front of that structure it doesn't matter how many times you've seen it it's just unbelievable, to, to something that really outlasts uh, mm. yourself and anything else. And, and I think he speaks about vision and courage, as you said, and, and it's extremely interesting. The things that I would like to pick up, though, is, is what you said in the beginning that I found interesting, because it's true that, that you are an engineer, an architect, an educator, and everything, but you'd like to define yourself as an artist, first of all. So, can you expand a little bit more on that? Why an artist?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, uh, theater aside, right? This th- this sort of craft, um, which is a form of art, and, and my love for it and my appreciation for, for that art form aside, um, when I look at, you know, one of my students said this to me. once, is like, he said, <laughs> "said Mr. V." Some of call me Mr. V. like Mr. V. Seeing you in a classroom is like. It's like your classroom is your stage and you're performing, right? But, but your performance is, you know, is educational as a performance, right? And, and when I think about that is, you know, at first I was like, whoa, hold on. I'd like not to think of myself as sort of, you know, the, the person who's giving a monologue. Like this is, this is not what learning is supposed to be. It's supposed to be dialogical, supposed to be an exchange. So, you know, what, what does that mean that, that, you know, like am I, Am I bastardizing learning here or education here? But you know, I, I come to understand with time that learning ca- can be fun, and actually, learning is even more powerful when it is fun, when it is playful. I mean, think about think about children, right? How do children learn? Why is it that why is it that a kindergarten is all about play? And then the moment you start standard one <laughs> upwards, it's like we've forgotten how to play, right? It's like we we don't. It's like it doesn't matter anymore. But I think it's it's inherently Human to be playful to be artistic that that i mean think about our senses and what stimulates our senses right and you know and i've always been a you know i'm an advocate for and 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 also a designer of you know learning experiences and exper- especially experiential um, learning right and and this idea of like you know using imagination and creativity to create. You know, scenarios and, and simulations, right, for people to learn. I'll give you some, some examples of some of the probably crazier things that we've done, right? Again, you can never really ever recreate somebody else's experience, right? You'll never, you, you can try to do all sorts of empathy ex- exercise, but there's only so far that your, your empathy can go, right? But, but you want somebody to move beyond just like cognitive empathy to a place of real compassionate empathy, where you are moved to do something and to move to action. And we wanted to get our students to understand that. So we designed this little you know experiment simulation experiential where you know we we got our students, we brought our students, you know, hurried our students into the into the auditorium um, uh, and told them that you have 15 minutes and you need to go to your room and and grab all your essentials because um, there's there's an emergency. Essentially what we're trying to do, we're trying to create a simulation for a refugee crisis, right? So you had very little time to go and pick up your stuff and they did and they came out. We made them walk around our campus for two hours, right? Aimlessly, not, not entirely sure where they're going to go until they finished on the, on the, on the um, school, uh, on the soccer field. And then we gave them some, some material to like, you know, m- build a dwelling to spend the night, right? Some of them would give some tents and stuff. And, uh, and they spend overnight outside, right? And the next morning, you know, we, 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 you know, we try, again, we, we use some experts to f- sort of try to replicate that experience as best as we can, right? Again, you could have sit in the classroom and say, hey, here's a video, here's a text, read about, you know, um, the refugee crisis and try to understand what it means to be a refugee. Or you could say, hey, well, let's try to experience a little bit of that. And then you close off with bringing in some experts by experts, I really mean people who've had the actual experience. And some of our students were actual refugees, right? Who could, who could speak to that, right? Like that, you know, I was telling a colleague yesterday, you know, theory of change, which is like a very important concept used in consulting in all different places. We, we teach that at, uh, at both the university and the, and the high school. And, you know, at the end of the year, we will do a survey and we'll ask our students, what were the topics that were most valuable to them in terms of, you know, like how, how does it help them in terms of skills? And then we also asked them to rate of all the topics that we we learned, which one did they find most enjoyable? And the topic of theory of change turned out to be the one that they found the most valuable as a concept, as a tool, but the least enjoyable, because it's so dense as a concept. It was like, what do we do? I actually then designed a board game. I actually built a board game that we still use at at the academy now. I think they've even commercialized it um, to teach the same concept, right? So we gamified it, right? So how do you think of theory of change, this idea of like leveraging resources, having a set of activities to lead towards an, uh, you know, set, a set of outcomes with an, with an intended impact in the world, right? Can you gamify that, right? So I think when I look at my journey, right, whenever I've built something, whether it's building a program, whether it's building an institution, right, in the way I've approached leading, building teams even, right, I've always allowed my imagination, my creativity to to influence and inform um, the, you know, the process, right? Um, because I think there's, there's, there's this beauty in, in the experience. And if you are intentional about it, you are creative about it, you can not only extract more value, but you can also add more value to people going through that experience, right? And um, why, why I'd say inherently an artist above all else. There is
1: something that we'd like to explore with you. I think that we can delve a little bit more into uh, the vision of the Africa Leadership University. We touched upon it a little bit in your introduction. It's very compelling. Um, I think there are some, you know, Words that I think everybody would agree that is important, but few people put them together. Like ethical leadership, for example, and uh, and also I think what is transpires from your mission. There's also this element of uh, uh, become an author of your life, or really take responsibility for something, uh, for something that you know that, that is bigger than you ultimately. But it starts within you we could, you know, explore and delve into this concept at a high level. What I think is interesting in the african issue group that you developed is this aspect of practicality, is this aspect of creating a real institution with real number, is about being entrepreneurial. Because probably one of the things that 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 we need the most right now in the world, not only on the African continent, let's let's be clear, but in the world is creative institutions that are able to, um, to, to produce new language, new way of doing, uh, new way of thinking and then operating so that therefore they can create uh, a new type of society or new aspects. So I would like to kind of explore with you this element of a how-to. How does that pass from somehow an intellectual ideas uh, that we can somehow all agree on into something real? How was that, how was that journey for you? And, and how do you approach that in your everyday in this idea of really establishing and creating and developing a creative institution?
0: Yeah, I think this, this is a really good, good, good way of framing it. Right. Um, because I think, first of all, I think it's, I mean, it, it's necessary. We don't have a choice. We live in a world today that is so different and keeps changing so rapidly that the only thing that we can, we can tap into is our creativity. Right. Otherwise, you're going to get lost and, and you're going to get overwhelmed with just how complex this new world is. Right. And that's one thing that we've been endowed with. Um, as a species is, is our creativity. And I think you know, the, way, the way we've thought about it is that, you know, it, it connects a little bit to what I was talking about earlier, this idea of you know, the, the, the theory of change needs to be, to be relatively clear. It's like, wh- why, why do you want to do what you want to do? Why do you want to build an institution? Why do you want to build a, build, a, build a school? When when you build a university? What, what is the purpose? Your purpose could be, I want to build a school because I want to build a school. That's, that's, that's the goal. That's the mission. But, but as I'm saying, it, the world is so unique right now that, that you can't just build a school because if you just build a school that doesn't have a stronger or a bigger purpose, you're going to get people to go through the motions in that school, and they will probably not emerge as, um, forget the most productive and creative contributors in society, but probably even ill-equipped to survive in a very complex um, society, because we live in a complex society, right? So h- how do you go about taking, you know, building a, an educational institution as, as, a, as an intellectual concept to, 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 to infusing you know, creativity into it is, you've got to find people who are aligned in the purpose, right? because I think, I think that's, that's the most important part. At the end of the day, I think what, what moves us um, uh, as, 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 again, as a human species, is, is to be able to live for a higher purpose. Again, whether it's you know, building a cathedral to serve a higher power or it is to build an institution that will prepare a group of people for the economic prosperity um, of its people and, and future generations of its people, or it's for liberation right, from systems of oppression, and 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 you know modern types of c- colonialism, you need to be clear about the purpose, and and that purpose, um, when you work backwards, given your theory of change, you say okay, then if that's the purpose, what do I need to do now to get to that purpose? And you take appreciation of the environment in which you're trying to, you know, get this liberation or. or or create the economic prosperity or other kinds of prosperity, right? And then once once you align on that, then you say, okay, then what are the skills and the behaviors and the mindsets that you want these people to have, the people who are going to go through this school of yours to have when they emerge and why? And then you craft those. And then you work even further backwards and you say, well, if traditional systems of education are unable to deliver that, then, how do you think creatively? How do you leverage, I don't know, technology? How do you gamify learning? How do you make learning personalized? How do you give ownership and agency to the learner to define them? Because you know, traditionally, learning has been, you know, I am the center and the authority of knowledge. I am the teacher. I am the professor. I am the oracle. I will come and I will profess. And you are the recipient. Whereas I think that's flawed, right? If you think about it, because, you know, we, we are endowed with. Lots of curiosity, right? And for me, this is the artistic part. What is art is being curious about something and then bringing it, allowing it to, to take, exploring it, first of all, right, in a, in a creative way and, and, and then creating value from it, give it a life form of its own, right? So, so why can learning not be that? Why can a student not decide, well, I care about this. I am curious about this. And I want to pursue this thing in a particular direction. Or I want to answer this question, and I want to do it in X number of ways. I want to go and, I don't know, I want to go and spend some time with the guys at Moleskine Foundation, and that's how I want to enhance my learning, right? What, what's wrong with that? Who says who coming to spend time with you guys is not learning because you're not sitting in a classroom and there's not a whiteboard or a chalkboard in front of them, yeah. right? So I think we have to really be creative in the way we, we also appreciate where learning happens and where are the centers and, uh, uh, of, of knowledge, right? I don't think it's just where we've assumed historically and traditionally where, where it is, right?
1: What I, what, I, what I hear, if I'm interpreting it right, I, I hear uh, in some cases, what now it's becoming a little bit hyped because of Elon Musk but this idea of uh, uh, first principle thinking, you know, it's like really uh, go and question some of the assumptions uh, that, uh, uh, consciously or unconsciously on underpinning our our frame of thinking and ultimately then allow us to create certain things compared to others. Um, and, and it seems to me that the African Leadership University at the African Leadership Group, it's really um, pushing on that and start questioning some of some of those assumptions. And then by those questioning, then you can create something that is that is unique. Um, the reason that I would like to explore a little bit, though, about because ALU uh, and the group, it's an excellence under, let's say, any objective indicators, you know, economic indicator, you know, in terms of uh, fundraising, revenue, numbers, etc. You know, everywhere in the world, everywhere in the world, the Africa Leadership Group and the African Leadership University would be an excellence. Um, though I feel that there is something special about being the African leadership group and African leadership diversity, that, that context, that uh, to a certain extent, that, that context that is both physical and metaphorical in a way. How, in which way, you know, the... Uh, African part of the Leadership University is influencing the building of an institution, and uh, and has inspired uh, the, the 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 way that you decided to 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 go and to build things.
0: Yeah, at its very core, right? At its very core, it is the love and the desire to right some historical wrongs for the African continent that led to the founding of the group, right? Um, I mean, you know, the founder, Fred Swanica, um doesn't really need any introduction, but I think those, those who've paid attention to his story, you know, it, it begins with, first of all, him having to leave Ghana because of a, of a coup d'etat, right? And then sort of finding himself and his family in Botswana and sort of growing up all over the continent, but then also, you know, having had a chance to go and study in the West, et cetera, and And sort of this realization as a Pan-Africanist um, that, you know, you, we all know the kinds of labels and stereotypes and, and, and thinking that is very often associated with the continent, right? As if almost we are unable <laughs> on the continent to be centers of excellence or centers of creativity or centers of genius, which is flawed. I mean, you just mentioned Elon Musk, he is African. People may forget that, right? And and we have, you know, great, um, you know, Africans who have gone on to do remarkable things in the world. And look, let's be honest, Africans have also been the, the, they are the backbone of building some of the grandest institutions in the world. Granted, it was done under a uh, 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 pretty messed up structure, system of oppression, right? But, you know make no mistake that the contribution of our people to the world is 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 massive it's just that some chose to write history in a certain way and discounted and 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 demeaned and and stripped away the dignity of of of, of our people on the continent right and sadly the world has evolved the way it has and in despite efforts to to try to to fix some of these things, as we see till today, right, um, we're not on par yet, right, and and the continent has definitely suffered tremendously um, uh, um, over the years. At the same time, since independence, right, and the 19 what 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, we've seen also generations of African leaders who've honestly failed their people, right, big time, and uh, and 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 the young. The youth of Africa, This you know, Africa is the youngest continent in the world, right? By the turn of the century, 40% of the entire world population is going to be African, right? Africa has a median age of 19 years old, which means that if it's got a population of 1.2 billion people right now, 600 million people are under the age of, of 19, right? This is a generation that is creative, it's energetic, it is optimistic. That's the part that, that you know, uh, makes me, reminds me all the time that that we have a moral imperative to do what we can do for this generation. Because, you know, it is no fault of theirs that the world is how it is. and And, you know, some of their countries are in the states that they are. And I don't want to be, you know, too alarmist either, right? There's been a lot of improvement on the continent over the last few years. But, when you look at the data of what lies ahead for us, um, you know we are looking either at one of the gre- greatest opportunities in human history, right? Of really tapping into the potential of, of youth and young people. Or we could be looking at a disaster if we fail to build uh, systems to educate and create employment and opportunities and, 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 and all of that, right? So, you know, there's... Yeah, it's with pride that we are the African Leadership University, the African Leadership Group. We certainly hope that what we are building and, and we have reason to believe that we are on the right track, that what we are building, how we are pushing the boundaries and, and revolutionizing education, others will, will pick up from as well, that 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 this is going to be born out of Africa and we'll build a model that the rest of the world can copy. I mean, you know, we we, we already... You know, we attract people from all over the world who come to you know, spend time with us. I remember I was hosting a, a, a conversation with this gentleman, Pekka Peura. He's known as the most famous teacher in Finland, and Finland has one of the most progressive education systems. And he was saying to me after he had spent a week with us, he said, Dude, I feel embarrassed to be talking here because you guys are what you guys are doing is remarkable, far more remarkable than whatever we've built in Finland, right? Um, and I was like, wow, okay, you know? So we are onto something here, right? And again, we're still very early on, right? What was that, 500 years to build the Cathedral of Milan? We, we've been 14 years as a group in the game, 15 years as a group in the game, six years, going on to seven at the university. We've Got a long way to go, right? But I think we've assembled a group of people um, and, and we have the commitment and the, and the heart and the passion of young Africans who've joined our mission and that, that sets us up for a, a remarkable journey I hope we can have this conversation 50 years from now adama it will be a whole different uh, different type of reflection you know uh,
1: absolutely absolutely and this really talks about that idea of cre- of a cathedral that you were that you were yeah. saying in the beginning uh, look we have this this you know as you know uh, the 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 name of this podcast is creativity Pioneer. And, uh, and for us, a creativity pioneer is, is someone who has the intellectual curiosity and the courage for unconventional acts of changing their reality around him or herself. And I think today you really uh, showcase, you know, share with us um, how, uh, uh, you know, your remarkable journey in really interpreting, uh, you know, uh, this role of creativity uh, pioneer as, as the very last question, you know, uh, I would like to ask you something practical, you know, in your everyday life, you know, how do you stay creative? How do you keep yourself inspired, uh, so that you can, because we know a creativity pioneer is not somebody who did something in the past and that's it. creativity pioneering means is an attitude that has to be nourished. That has to be nurtured. Uh, so, how do you nurture that side mm-hmm. of yourself?
0: You know, with your permission, I want to share a, a personal internal struggle first before I answer your question. And that struggle has always been, you know, as as, an, as a former actor, and I've also you know directed you know some plays and musicals and whatnot. I've I've constantly been. M- dealing with this internal struggle of the artist within and the artist without, right? Um, there's this desire to become an artist, a full-fledged artist, uh, which is something that I probably will explore at some point in my life. Um, I still believe that. Um, but, you know, I also know the pathway that I took, um, and that's been a commitment to education and, and transformative education in the last uh, decade plus now. And um At some point, because the question is constantly at the back of my mind, right? I have to make peace with it, right? I'd like to think that whatever I do, I pursue, you know, I'm able to align my passion, my interests, the cause that I care about in the world and my skills that I have as well. And then I I realized at some point that I can actually live a very purposeful and very happy and fulfilling, gratifying life um, while not having art or being an artist as my, my career, right? For as long as art is an inherent and integral part of my life. So keep it alive, right? So it comes to your question, right? How do I keep it alive? How do I keep the art alive in my life? Um, I think in a number of ways. Uh, number one is, you know, as a consumer of art, I make sure that I consume art as frequently as I can, right? Um, right now we live in tough times, but you know, for me, when the theatres are open, you know, whenever I get a chance to go see a play, um, uh, you know, go see, uh, you know, live, uh, whatever, it's a movie or to a concert, you know, I'm an avid, avid consumer of art, right, in, in all its form, right, the only one I'm not pretty good at at all is dancing, but I uh, am singing as well, but I'm a big, big, big fan of, of, of music and, and, and performing arts, etc. So keep my, um, um, I nourish myself with art, that's something very important for me to do, right, consume the art. Um, the second one is, you know, how do I infuse art and creativity in my work? As I told you, you know, it, it it almost came organic and naturally, right? Any person who's worked with me will tell you that I am fundamentally a creative. Whether it's the way we're gonna brainstorm or the way we're gonna problem solve, um, it's never dull. It's always some creative way of, you know, <laughs> how are we gonna, how are we gonna problem solve this, um, uh, you know, in an artistic way, almost, right? And it's fascinating what it does when you tap into into your right brain, right? Um, even when I was working as a consultant before rejoining ALU, you know, a lot of the programs that I've designed, um, you know, I, I, I would do like you know, um, uh, consulting at the executive level and, and, and still I bring creativity, right? I'll get people to do some stuff that they were like, I could not have imagined that this would lead to such a powerful insight around everything, around culture, around self-leadership, you know, using, you know, for instance, you know, this thing that we do around culture where we do a reflection around, using five, the five elements of nature when I first was like, oh man, this is feeling a little like touchy-feely. And then before you know it, it's like, whoa, we've extracted such valuable information around how a culture is living or not living at the moment by just like looking at it from a different lens, you know? So, so making sure that creativity and imagination is, is an integral part of my day-to-day Uh, my work it's almost become honestly like it's become a habit right it's like it's like this idea like at what point does a skill become a mindset right (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and it's like it's like you practice it so much that it becomes almost a mindset a way of living a way of doing and i think that you know um creativity and imagination for me has most definitely become a way of living um you know and and when i'm not i know it trust me i know it i know it it's like i'm thirsty you know (laughs) and then i gotta. I got to do something that is is, is more, you know, of, of more creative nature. Recently, I've been, I'll be honest, I've been um, feeling it, especially with the lockdown and the pandemic, my ability to be in these spaces, because I believe very strongly also that, yes, you can be a pioneer, you can be a creative solo. There are wonderful solo artists in the world in many forms. But I'm personally a strong believer in subscriber to communities of, of, of practice and communities of of creatives and that's where I feel like I've come to life when I'm in these spaces and these communities and and recently it's been really hard with the lockdown and the pandemic to be in those spaces right where you're able to nourish your soul because you know creativity art is also spiritual for me at least it is right and how do you nourish your spirit with that and it's about being this in in spaces where you are able to to live the art in, in a community and um yeah, it's about again. It goes. It also ties to what we were talking about earlier. It's about awareness. You need to be aware that this is important to you. That that your soul and your heart um, requires art as a nourishment. Then you have to nourish your soul um, with art as well. Vera, thank you so
1: much. That was really great. You gave us uh, so much to to think about, and I think above all, uh, I think you showcased to us how to. Uh, dismantle some of the uh, those those typical ideas and dichotomies between uh, uh, having a high manage- high level managerial life and an artistic life There's, The two things are not in contradiction with each other, but on the contrary they are nurturing each other and and really to create uh, this idea of uh, a creative leadership or even more an ethical, creative leadership for the future. So, Peter, thank you so much. It was really great. And uh, I look forward to continue our conversation in a different space.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to our new podcast, Creativity Pioneers. If you'd like to check out other episodes and know more about our mission, please visit moleskinfoundation.org. Keep on following this podcast and share your comments on Facebook and Instagram at Moleskin Foundation. Until next time, stay creative.